Well, here we are again at another field day, 2009. Yeah, boy, it's uh, 8.30 in the morning, and uh, it's just too early, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I got here about 7, and there were already three or four guys here buzzing around. It's nice, though. It's pretty cool. We're located right on the edge of the reservoir. We'll give you a shot of that in a minute, and uh, breeze is coming through, and we got cameras in hand, so we're ready to go get some footage. Yeah, definitely. I've seen some, uh, some pretty cool toys over there. I saw a sort of a version of a potato gun I'm excited to see in operation. Yeah, me too. Uh, we'll definitely get the details on that. And uh, if we can get George out of bed, uh, we'll get him up here and he can see it too. Where is he yeah, anyway? He's probably exactly where you said. But he, he'll be joining us shortly. He's, uh, he's the late crew for the day. Yeah. You and I are the early morning crew. And we're, we're going to cover the early morning. He's a night person, though, so we got him slotted to come in about dark 30, right? Yeah, we can let him work the night shift. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay. Well, I did. I saw some guys down here putting up a uh, vertical down the hill here out in the sunshine. So uh, I'm going to go have a look at them. Where are you going to go? Okay. I'm going to check out these guys. They're uh, putting up a Carolina Wyndham. Oh, yeah, and, good intel. Uh, yeah, they're going to be using the potato gun thing Man, I was talking thanks about. thanks, too, so. to all the JARC uh, members. This is their banner right behind us. And um, Andy and uh, the JARC were nice enough to invite us down here for yeah, our field yeah. day. And, uh, boy, we're just going to have a blast. Yeah, definitely. Thanks to the guys for inviting us out. But uh, let's go see what we can find. Let's go. Here's a field day vertical for you in five easy steps. Step one, the base. You've got to have a good foundation for your vertical. Watch these guys as they put this one in the ground. Next up, step number two, the actual vertical. Get that puppy out of the truck, bring it over here. Let's set it down and put it together. But don't forget that base. We're not quite through with it yet. <laughs> it's got to really be put down well. This is a nice vertical and a, an aluminum base with four good anchors. And that leads to step number three, the actual raising. Take that vertical carefully. Note here, Todd and Bill both grab a hold and you raise that puppy up and you slide it onto the base. It's a tall thing, isn't it? This particular vertical is about 20 feet tall. On to step four, very important step, the radials. A lot of people don't realize it, but radials can really help your pattern, really, really help your swerve, really help your uh, strength at a distance. Note here, Bill's placing the flower pot on one of the verticals, and that's to alert passers-by that to beware that there is a wire lying here on the ground. Now that those are down, step five is all that remains. Tuning up. We want to make sure our vertical is somewhere near resonant on each of the four bands. I suspected that they might have an influence. 1.2 to 1 on 20 meters on 14,250. And you said 40 was good too now, right? 40 was like 1 to 1 almost. And there you go, a field day vertical and five easy steps. Well, it's really been hot today here, hasn't it? Yes, sir, it has been very it, it hot. It has been really, I guess you would say, excruciatingly hot, although we haven't suffered that badly. <laughs> Speak for yourself, you weren't here <laughs> around noon today. Well, well, of course not. I went inside in the air conditioning. <laughs> I was here this morning, all morning, yeah. from about 7.30. Well, you see Peter joined us here. Hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. We can see you, too. It's cold here. How cold is it there? Oh, it'd be about 8 degrees Celsius. It's uh, uh, a cold, wintry day here in uh, Victoria. If 0 degrees Celsius is 32 here, that means it's only it's about 40, 40 degrees or so there. Yeah. So for us, that's about cold, yeah. Yeah, cold. Right around 100 here today. 100. Yeah. Well, that, that is hot. It's got about that much humidity, too. Pull out your it's humid as well. Pull out your heat light and turn it on <laughs> while we're filming so that you can feel the virtual presence of uh, Mississippi. Well, I actually have a heater just down at my feet here. It's keeping me warm. <laughs> wow, I can't I'm imagine. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, 
Let's get started. Uh, we've shot a good bit of footage today of just different things going on around uh, field day here at Old Trace Park in Richland. And uh, well, one thing we saw this morning is uh, crank up tower, uh, getting the antennas put on it. And what, yeah. what exactly did y'all shoot there? Well, we shot quite a bit. Tommy first shot them. Did you shoot them putting it up? No, actually it was up when I got here. But uh, they had a climber come by the. Uh, yeah. They had a problem with the rotor cable, and they had a climber come by, climb and we, up and, and we connect shot it. That. We they they did get that. the problem fixed, but it was yeah. uh, quite an experience. Yeah, let's uh, let's watch this now when the climber showed up. And one more to caution here: this is a crank up tower, and you should never climb a crank up tower. <laughs> it's just not safe. You could lose an arm or a leg or your life. Or both. If it were to suddenly collapse. Yeah. So so don't try this at home. Wire is unhooked. I need, uh, I need it loose from the building all the way to the tower. So somebody can uh, untie that rope that the messenger came Jim, what else did you see in the area of antenna raising going on here today? Ooh, a lot of cool stuff. Put up some Carolina Wyndhams for one. And we did that via a very interesting instrument, I guess you'd say. I kind of almost have one like this at home, but it's not exactly like it. Uh, I call mine a potato gun. <laughs> yeah, this All is right. a pneumatic, uh, pneumatic version. It's a really interesting piece, piece of gear. I think I'm going to have to try to make one of those. It does an awesome job getting the uh, antenna line up. I've not found anything better. I've, uh, <clears throat> been an advocate of the bow and arrow and I use the right. bow for short shots and uh, just with a fishing arrow. Uh -huh. I really like uh, I really like that for short things because it's good control and but it is hard to beat this thing. But again, are we ready to pull? Yeah, you can go ahead and uh, try to get that one on up. Let's see, what tree would be a good one for you? That's the question, all right. Oh. Where do we get? Okay, Gary, bring the string. There you go. <laughs> well, to continue on with our usual method of doing things. Let's have some emails here. That okay. Sounds good. We've Looks had like quite a few. Tommy wants to do one first. Yeah, I'm dying to do one. <laughs> We've got one here from uh, WA1REQ. It says, hello from the One Network. Our purpose is to promote friendship and amateur radio across borders and cultures. We're a group of amateurs who link together on Echolink node WA1REQ-L. Our group is international and we would like to invite you to come and visit our node. You're welcome to stay as long as you want, keep the connection to the network. We have a roundtable session each evening from 10 p.m. to midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Look forward to hearing you on. And I, I have not had a chance to go there. Have you no, been there yet? I, I don't remember. When did we get that? June 10th? No, I June haven't. June 10th. Uh, it's just recent. I should have gone there. Jim, have you got one? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, from Northern Kentucky, Bob, K5DZE writes, says he really enjoyed our show on the NCDXF beacons, you know, the DX beacons you listen yeah, to, yeah. tell how propagation is. And Bob is originally from Columbus, Mississippi. Wow. So he's, uh, he's a fellow Mississippian, and uh, he's offered some suggestions on future pieces we might do. One, he says, is uh, some of the 10-meter beacons. They, they have a whole range of frequencies in 10 meters from 28.175 up to 28.3. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, that's going to be getting hot with the new uh, 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 solar minimum going away and the solar maximum coming on. And uh, another place to listen for beacon activity, he says, is on LF, or really on the low frequency band, called LOFERS, too, from 160 to 190 kilohertz. Mm -hmm. And he says, uh, lastly, if you want to get some uh, really good experience hunting beacons, you can go down between 190 and 530 kilohertz for NDBs. I bet you know what those are. November Delta Bravo beacons. Navigational beacons. There you go. I've listened to them. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I've got an email here from our buddy Mike. You remember Mike, the guy who helped me build the Cantina. 
Yeah. He said he just happened to stumble across a pretty cool site. At least he thought it was. I, I thought it was, yeah. too. Check out the homemade cathode ray tube. It's www.sparkbangbuzz.com. I saw that. <laughs> it was cool. It was cool, wasn't it? It I was cool. I need to check that out. Yeah, Amazing. Peter, have you got any emails over there? Well, I've got a, an email here uh, from Kevin, VK3CKC, uh, who's president of the Midland Amateur Radio Club uh, here in Victoria. Uh, g'day, Kevin. Uh, Kevin says that, and he's got a little bit of bad news here, that unfortunately the Sendervik Radio Fest, which is one of our larger ham meets, had to be cancelled, and that was due to the global financial crisis. Uh, this, this email is actually a few weeks old, and uh, we have a bit of an update uh, from the WIA. And uh, indeed, the uh, next year, the, it's coming back. So as of the 14th of February, uh, the Sendervik uh, Radio Fest will be starting again, which is great news. Well, Jimmy and Tommy got up here this morning bright and early around 7 a.m. and got the footage that we've seen so far. And then uh, everybody took a break. I did show up. <laughs> Not at 7, though. <laughs> He's a late shift. We yeah. committed you to working the night shift. <laughs> so anyway, Tommy and I did show back up around 2 p.m. here, and uh, we went around to uh, see how things were going in the contest. And we talked to a friend of mine, uh, Charlie, who was running QRP at that time on a single sideband. Well, field day has officially started now. There is Charlie and Thomas working a QRP station. How's the uh, QRP working out so far, Charlie? It's working out actually quite well. I think we've contacted a squirrel in that tree right there. And uh, a couple of, oh yeah, there's a chicken that answered me before. It's just a rough day for QRP, but we're going to keep trying. Okay, is this just a 100-watt rig? It's a 100-watt rig, and uh, we had it down to 5 watts trying to do some QRP stuff. How long are you going to uh, uh, stay at 5 watts? Um, let's see. What time is it? Um, we're we're going to try a while, and then we'll, we'll uh, raise the power up again. But that's what field day is about, is about giving different things a try, you know. After we left there, we walked over to the CW tent and uh, saw a solar panel there. So we talked to our friend Andy to find out what was going on with that. What's your call sign, Andy? Whiskey Bravo 5 Tango Tango Echo. What can you tell us about the power you guys are using here for your CW setup? Well, right now we're running off a battery. We started out with a solar cell charging the battery so we could get the natural power uh, points. There's some bonus points for the first five contacts. We wanted to make sure we got that first. But we've got a, ba a battery that running at 5 watts will take us all through field day. 155 amp um, cell tower pull-out battery. Oh, great. Well, appreciate it. How you have any luck making many contacts? Well, we're starting out pretty good. Um, CW is going to be a, a strong um, contest um, station. Um, I don't know how the, the sideband's doing yet. I haven't made it up there. Uh, digital got started off pretty good. Yeah, we just came from the uh, QRP guys up there. They were having a little bit of a tough time getting started. So well. well, we gave them the best antenna, but, you know, CW is going to make it through. But well, this is the kind of power most of these guys out here are using. We saw the solar panel over there, but uh, the QRP guys and the single sideband guys we're going to see shortly, they're all running off generator power. I believe they get more points when you're operating off alternate power. This one's actually pretty quiet compared to some of them. Okay, yeah, we got an email from uh, David, and David says he found us on YouTube, found a video there on the MFJ site, and he enjoyed it. Uh, episode 20, I believe that was, wasn't it? And, uh, uh, I think so. He, uh, he also enjoyed the one on the MFJ antenna analyzer. Well, I think nice that box. was episode 20. Oh, yeah. We were using one this morning, setting up the vertical, Okay. All right, I've got another email here, and this is from our friend Randy, K4QO. And he said he's uh, discovered recently at work on a lot of the older computers that he keeps getting odd errors. And eventually the trouble uh, starts getting into the boot up of the machine, and eventually they stop. And after looking for problems with the hard drive and uh, viruses and such, 
they finally noticed that there were some electrolytic capacitors on the motherboard that were leaking. Y'all remember that? Yeah, ah. I do remember that. Yeah, you know, a few years back, there was uh, some counterfeit capacitors that got released in China or somewhere. Someone copied one of the major brands and stole a formula from them, but the formula actually had a flaw in it. <laughs> and so they- um, Stole the wrong formula. They stole the wrong formula. And they made a lot of these bad capacitors that got sold to a lot of computer manufacturers. So if you're having strange problems like that, you might just want to take a look on the motherboard and see if you see some little crusty stuff bubbling up out of the top of some of the capacitors on sign. there. Yeah, I, I have replaced those before on some computers myself. So if you've got a problem, might take a look at that if it's a few years old. Uh, there were several brands that were affected by that. Peter, have you got another email down there? Sure, uh, George, I've got an email here from Ben G4BXD, which, uh, unless I'm grossly mistaken, is the United Kingdom. And uh, hi to all our uh, British and UK listeners out there, and I'll be very polite and not mention the cricket. Uh, yes, he says, um, uh, Ben says, Hello, Peter. Well, one should never rely on the BBC, and in particular their documakers. He's, of course, referring to the recent... Um, uh, segment that I did on the Radio Museum uh, here in Melbourne. True, spy sets were issued to resistance and the like, but they normally were escorted in with a trained operator. None of the wartime spy sets I have or can think about used AM. It would just take too long to pass messages and would be totally insecure, brackets no coding. Uh, well, uh, that, that, that I find quite interesting. It makes me wonder a little bit about what uh, coding mechanisms they did use and what uh, methods of transmission were actually used during World War II. So I might have to have a word with Major Jim and, and ask him about that. Thanks, Ben. Okay. Very good, very nice. Yeah, I've got an email here from uh, Mike, W8TG. It says, Tommy, I really enjoy the shows. I think you should visit one of the big gun contesting stations, especially during a major contest would be of interest to many hams. Keep up the good work. And that actually is a good idea, but I don't know anyone here that, that I would really there's consider a, a big gun. I know there's some guys that some. probably have some pretty good uh, and while setups. this isn't technically a contest today, field day is very similar to a contest. And some of the footage we have shown and will show uh, will at least capture that flavor. But yeah, it is a good idea. Maybe we can yeah, if do. If we can find someone, that'd be a pretty good segment, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's a great idea. Thanks, Mike. In fact, you can film me after we get through here. I'm yeah, going to go down. I'm going to go down <laughs> yeah. to the CW station and make a few more contacts. That big, okay. yeah, big gun. Will you big up. finger? Yeah. yeah. Big gun. Da, di, di, da, da. <laughs> well, a little earlier this afternoon, in the middle of the heat wave that came through here, I had a chat with Ron Brown, the uh, state races officer, AB5WF. Ron, good to see you today. Good to see you, George. Uh, welcome on to the to the to the heat. And it's definitely hot here today. Have you heard what the temperature is supposed to be? Well, I heard the um, the real feel or the humidity added to it's going to be around 103. Well, I'd believe it. If it wasn't for this little bit of breeze we got going, it'd be unbearable. That's right. That's right. Breeze is good. What are you doing here today, Ron? Well, I'm really uh, just observing, and uh, when, when my shift comes up, I'll be operating on sideband, uh, one of the sideband stations, uh, or sideband station later on, one of the frequencies there, and uh, just really visiting with people. That's one of the benefits of the field day, is being able to, to uh, socialize with people you've talked with on the air for lots of times. Yeah, are you, are you in charge of the uh, VE testing going on here today? No, I'm just one of the BE examiners, and uh, I'm standing by. They're scheduled for later on today, and uh, our uh, our team will be here. And I don't know how many people we'll have to to visit to to, to test, but we'll, we're ready. <laughs> well, you know, Tommy and I are uh, got our VE papers too. We've never done a session yet. We're going to have to uh, get on that. Well, I tell you what we can do. We can list you on the on the on the roster and uh, get you on the payroll and get you down here and, and give you an opportunity to to uh, participate in a VE session if you if you got your credentials. With I, I didn't bring it with me, unfortunately. Gracie's is a radio uh, emergency radio amateur civil emergency uh, services. Gracie's, and our our plan is to have 
uh, an off uh, radio ham radio operator in every EOC in the state where there's an activity, uh, a disaster, or some event going on. And, and reporting back to to MEMA, I, I operate the station at MEMA, and uh, we're we're there and want to be able to contact any of the locations where there's a, a major disaster as backup communications for the state. Oh boy, it was nice to see Ron again. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the great things about Field Day. You get to see everybody that you haven't seen in a long time. That was really good to see all the guys here today. I'm right. looking forward to going back and doing a little more. It's just about sundown here, uh, local local time, so it's not over yet. No, by no means. Not over yeah. yet. It'll be going on until 1, 1 p.m. tomorrow. That's right. And, uh, are you staying overnight tonight? Um, they said I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> they said you could not. Oh, yeah, they said I'll I have, have a, to go home. I'll have a talk with them about that. We'll see. They said but, as soon as the mosquitoes get to bite and you have to leave. Well, that's now. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we got, I've got one more email here from N0MNB. And uh, he says, he's really enjoying the show. And uh, he thinks we're doing excellent things for amateur radio. And he says he bets we get a TV series all our own. <laughs> especially with all the new tech and amateur radio and the cat controlling of radios via software and that kind of thing. And he's really interested in that portion of ham radio. And uh, he uh, wants to thank us for our excellent contribution and he says, just keep going. I think a good time slot for our, for our series would be right after the home improvements. Reruns. You think? Right after Tim uh, the Tool Man Tell. Oh yeah, that would fit right in. <laughs> you think we could stand up to that? <laughs> well, I've got one more email here, and we, we try not to discriminate on this show. But this is from Kyle, and Kyle says, Hi, I live on the East Coast, and I recently found an old Sears 23 CB radio. Well, that's yeah. what you mean by discriminating. Yeah, that's what I mean. So. <laughs> he says, I have an antenna, but I'm unable to get any kind of signal. Took it to a friend's house, so I was able to get great reception. I was getting uh, signals nine to 10 miles away, but when I hook it up at the house, it's nearly impossible to get any kind of signal. Do you have any tips for better reception? I'm pretty new at this stuff, and I don't know anything about the position or height if that plays into it or not. And Kyle, yes it does. The height is uh, almost everything. That has a whole lot to do with it. You also have to have a good uh, low SWR match on the antenna. Uh, and you'll need uh, an SWR meter to check that with. Maybe one of your friends has one. But check your antenna, check your cable, make sure that it's not shorted or open. That's what I was going to say is the cable. Mm -hmm. That's what it sounds yeah. like. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the statistics say about radio, but I know in computer, uh, 90, the, the statistic is 90% of the time the troubles are in the cables. It's the cable. So, check your cable really well. All right, uh, Peter, why don't you give us another email? Sure, uh, I've got an email here from AA6KI in Tuxet, Arizona. Uh, hi, Peter, I've very much enjoyed your discussions of the Deegan DE1103, and thanks to your recommendation of two of these lovely radios. I just wanted to let you know that it's probably okay by now to remove the stickers from the front of yours. And of course he's referring to this little radio and these rather kitschy little stickers on the front. I'm not quite sure what they are. They're probably promotional stickers uh, saying, talking about the various features in Chinese. But I rather like them. <laughs> I'm going to leave mine there. Uh, thanks anyway, Jerry. All right. Tom. Yes, sir. I've got an email sitting here hot and ready to go. Just like me. <laughs> hot and ready to go, huh? <laughs> It's from our friend Don, uh, KC5CQW. It says, it's great to have you all back online. One of my coworkers, Rich, introduced me to a website that may be of interest and want to share it, www.scanamerica.us. It says it hosts scanner feeds from around the country and even archives audio for future reference. Um, Richard's very proud of his setup for Broome County, New York, and uh, he has quite a setup with 40 plus scanners, commercial grade preamps, RF splitters, RG6 coax, sounds like he went all out. Yep. Um, actually, it's so organized and well-equipped that will make many of us jealous. I appreciate that, uh, Damon, and uh, we'll have to check that out. Yeah. Well, also a little earlier today, in the heat of the day, 
We did get to step into the air conditioning for just a minute and take a look at the digital mode stations. Unfortunate for them, they were still outdoors. Tommy and I were looking through the window, but uh, we're uh, standing inside with the air conditioning here, Tommy and I are, and it sure feels a lot better. These guys out here in the heat are operating digital modes. I can uh, see they're using a, my favorite rig, the Kenwood TS-2000. And it looks like they're running uh, DM-780 software. I believe that's what that is. It comes with Ham Radio Deluxe. That's the same one I run. And I can't tell what mode that uh, they're using there. I think it's maybe PSK, but uh, not sure. We're going to go around and uh, have a little chat with these guys, see how they're doing with... Uh, digital modes and QRP. It's a lot hotter out here and we're going to meet these guys working the digital table here. Hi, I'm George. Rue Yates. Rue Yates. Bill Richardson, N5VEI. Yeah, Bill, we've met you before, I believe at the Hamfest we had a little chat. All right, Billy Collier, Alpha Echo 5, Charlie X-Ray. Hey, Billy, good to meet you. Well, tell me how uh, has the digital been going so far? Yeah, it's been going okay. We've had uh, a few computer problems, and we're up and going again. Otherwise, it's kind of slow going right now. It's uh, QRP. QRP is a little harder than normal operations, but we're we're trying. Well, are you are you hearing any signals? Oh yeah, we're hearing. They're they're packed in like sardines. So when they give the word, y'all are ready to bring them on in, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's um, it's just hard. It's just hard talking back. I mean, they're. Right now we're looking at about 40 signals, and uh, you know with five watts it's kind of hard to weave your way in. So, but yeah. Peter, uh, you produced a segment for us this time. Uh, what have you got? Well, a friend of mine was asked to build a uh, a television for the Australian Centre of the Moving Image. Uh, it's uh, they're having an exhibition of the history of television. The only difference was though he actually built a mechanical TV. Uh, it's actually a replica of the mechanical TVs built by John Logie Baird uh, back in the 1920s. So let's have a look at that. Hi everyone, I'm at the home of Chris Long VK3AML here in Melbourne. Chris has been building a mechanical television, is that correct Chris? Yes, uh, commissioned by the Australian Centre for the Moving Image in at Federation Square. Uh, they approached me with the idea of setting up a display of early television for incorporation in a display of the history of the moving image including motion picture and television components and uh, they were particularly interested in in getting a model going that could demonstrate to people the very first type of television practically demonstrated in the 1920s mechanical television mechanical scanning okay on that point um i understand it, it's a replica of the, of the machine that was built by john logie baird and a key question um is actually who was technically the inventor of television was it an american or a brit or a scot or what that depends on your definition definition of invention i think um most, for most people, it's not sufficient just to conceive of television because people were uh, publishing possible concepts for television back to the 1870s when the photosensitivity of uh, selenium was first discovered. But it wasn't until the invention of the triode valve around the time of the First World War that uh, amplification made all of those early proposals possible and from what we know of the history of television in the 20s mechanical scanning was pursued by a number of uh, experimenters who were trying for television in the early 20s but Baird, John Logie Baird, a Scot working in London, an experimenter was really the first to be able to reproduce the human face by reflected light live and with grey scale. Now if that's your definition of television, and it is the Oxford Dictionary definition of television, then Baird was the first to demonstrate it. Whether he was the inventor is a moot point. Um, he was certainly the first person to demonstrate live television of people. Uh, there were some earlier demonstrations of scanning from movie film, but we would now call that telecine. Uh, it required an awful lot of amplification from a, a feeble old photoelectric cell such as they had in the mid-twenties to activate uh, 
a video chain and a television receiver, even of the mechanical type. So Baird deserves his fair degree of credit. Nonetheless, so there, there were a number of inventors all kind of working on the same thing at the same period of time. Yes, well, if you talk about electronic scanning, remembering that the difference between mechanical television and electronic television in its early stages was not great. Uh, the uh, uh, people working on electronic con concepts in the 20s included Vladimir Zworykin, who worked for Westinghouse, later RCA, and uh, Philo Farnsworth, who was a Mormon farm boy who got into television in his late teens as an experimenter, and by 1928 was starting to produce real pictures out of a, um, his own type of television camera called an image dissector wasn't the mainstream of television development as we know it, but he was the first to demonstrate practical television pictures from an electronic camera. So uh, Baird is certainly the person who first demonstrated the practical transmission of moving pictures by mechanical scanning, but Farnsworth was the first to show the transmission of moving pictures by an electronic camera. Uh, the interesting thing is that electronic scanning was lagging some ye years behind mechanical in its early days in terms of picture quality. Up to the early 30s, mechanical scanning could give you a better picture. Uh, and it was only with the development of our knowledge of electron optics by people like Zwarikin at RCA that uh, electronic television really became practical and took off in the late 30s. Okay, so the credit is sort of shared around a bit. Yeah, there's yeah. no, there really is no single inventor. There are a number of workers who, who take, took significant steps forward, and of those, really, Baird's first demonstrations of, uh, of mechanical TV of people in October 1925 and to the Royal Institution in January 1926 really does mark the start of practical television as we know it. The interesting thing is that there's been no uh, practical public display of the principles involved actually working since that time. So we've, we've, what we've tried to do is to reconstruct using modern components but copying the principles as closely as possible, a model showing all of the principles used by Baird to produce the first practical television images. And what, what, there's another name for a mechanical TV, isn't there? Well, when it was uh, marketed as a commercial device for receiving pictures of experimental transmissions by the BBC from September 1929 onwards, Baird made uh, mechanical television receivers available using scanning disks in a kit called a televisor. Um, that was his name for it. Mm -hmm. um, the BBC would run... Um, his video, which was only 30 lines of vertical scanning, uh, over the medium wave transmitter in London. For the first six months from September 1929, they ran only pictures and then sound, alternately. It wasn't until March 1930, six months into the transmissions, that they got a second medium wave transmitter to simultaneously transmit sound. So from March 1930, they had simultaneous motion pictures and sound transmitted over the medium wave AM stations. And as a consequence of that, um, those television transmissions had a, an enormous coverage, particularly at night. Uh, there were viewers as far north as Iceland, the north coast of Iceland. There were viewers as far south as uh, Spanish Morocco that are documented, which means that uh, for a radius of around about 1,000, maybe 1,500 miles around London, people were receiving those early medium-wave television transmissions. They only occupied uh, 12 kilohertz worth of audio bandwidth well, I suppose you'd call it video bandwidth, but in an audio width. Yeah. So you could transmit them on medium wave. That's one of the major interests that, that I have in, from the point of view of ham radio, uh, the ability to put these, these pictures on HF, perhaps with a little bit of bandwidth limiting. Okay, uh, this, you're looking at the camera end of the, um, uh, the optical system. This is not just a television camera and receiver separate, it's, it's a demonstration model in one piece that's designed to show the whole flow of image scanning and reception by the old mechanical method from the initial object through the camera lens, scanning system, photo cell, video amplifier and off to the monitor. Uh, so we start with the camera, we have a camera lens fairly standard type in the front of the scanner. That lens focuses an image of this title card, for instance, onto 
scanning disc. Scanning disc, which I can actually expose by lifting the camera's optics out of the way, like that, has a, a series of holes, little apertures, cut in a spiral formation on the disc. So as this rotates, each little hole passing a square gate in front of the camera lens will scan one line of uh, video information and then of course the spiral goes back to the start and you start a picture, a second picture. So for every rotation of this disc we transmit one picture. Twelve and a half rotations a second, 750 RPM and you transmit a moving picture. Uh, just. So in the back of this camera we have a photo detector. Now originally the photo detector would have looked like this. This is a potassium photocell of the late 1920s, rare as hen's teeth. This in fact came out of uh, the Regent Theatre South Yarra where it was used for scanning optical soundtracks in the first talkie projector they ever had there in mid-1929. That would have been in this box originally. Now, there are problems because modern photo detectors, particularly PIM photodiodes, are small. They don't pick up from a very great area. So to compensate for that, there is the pin photodiode. That little tiny device there, which has a sensitive area of 4mm square, going through a discrete amplifier of quite a few dB gain. It's amplifier there and a final amplifier there. Uh, that converts the flashes of light seen by the scanning process as a result of travelling through the apertures in the disc. The, there's a condenser lens system inside there that con condenses the light going through that disc's apertures onto that photocell. So that's how the camera works. It converts image, mechanically scans it into a series of light flashes for the photocell to convert into a video signal. Okay, well the signal, the video signal having come out of the photocell has to be amplified and uh, in the 20s of course what they used were battery valves and this amplifier, uh, if you have a look into the uh, amp there, a five stage RC coupled amplifier using Philips A409 triodes with a type 45 output triode uh, was what they originally used at uh, Baird International Television Limited in the late 20s. So this RC coupled amplifier was um, what was originally used with a mechanical scanning um, camera. This design actually was published in Wireless World in September 1930. Now this actually works. Uh, this is the output stage actually for driving the neon lamp that they would have used in the receiver uh, for mechanical scanning back at the time. But unfortunately if we fired this up uh, for a display, a museum display that has to be shown eight hours a day for something like eight years, uh, it wouldn't last terribly long and um, the number of valves of this type from the mid-twenties that one can get access to now, replacements are few and far between and extremely expensive. So what we had to do was build a modern equivalent, something that uh, had passed that we could readily replace. We had to build a modern video amplifier which could take the output of the mechanical television camera amplify it and then feed it into, instead of the neon lamps that were used in the 20s, the modulated light source for the television receiver, we use modulated Luxian LEDs, very very high output LEDs. And unfortunately they require a fairly high driving power at low voltage. So this pseudo 1920s instrument case actually hides a host of 21st century evils, not the least of which are these two power FETs, uh, they're Siemens types, <coughs> on a very large heat sink. This runs in class A and it drives the Luxian bank. This is a 12 volt 18 amp power supply. These are the video preamplifiers in these little die cast boxes here and this um, there are two power FETs in series with the Luxian bank inside this lamp enclosure. Now at the monitor end of the equipment, um, originally there was a flat plate cathode neon lamp sitting in a box like this. What we have in there, glowing away inside there, are, are uh, a group of eight Luxian 3 LEDs. Um, 
This is cheating, 21st century technology, only been available since 2005. These shame, shame, shame. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. But if we went to neons, we wouldn't be able to replace them. They would cost a fortune to actually be made one by one. And uh, uh, they're fairly feeble in output. And one of the briefs I had with this is to make it viewable in a general museum gallery under general museum illumination. What's the big disc there, uh, Chris? Okay, that's the receiver scanning disc. Uh, it's around about two feet in diameter, 32 holes in it, one for each line of the image. So we have a 32 line picture, which is tall and narrow, and you can probably see the uh, picture scan as I rotate that by hand very slowly, scanning across the receiver screen, screen so-called. Uh, there's an eight inch diameter magnifying lens that you view the image through. And if you're lucky, you might get an image as big as a postcard out of this. Uh, 32 lines doesn't sound like much, but it, as you'll see, it's actually quite enough to recognise a human face. And that was what Baird was trying to transmit on medium wave, a picture of the singer or the announcer. And what's the uh, aspect ratio of this? This particular one, um, we've tried to imitate as closely as possible Baird's original ratio used in the late 20s, which is uh, one, one unit horizontal to two units vertical. It's a tall, narrow picture to suit uh, head and shoulders subjects. So eff effectively portraits? Portrait format, yeah. It, in no case has television since this time been in portrait format with vertical scanning lines. That rather made this different to, uh, to later systems that came along. Doesn't like that. Unfortunately, we, it's very, very difficult to photograph the screen of a, essentially a stroboscopic disc rotating in front of a modulated lamp, but that's what you're seeing on the picture at the moment, uh, broken up into bands, unfortunately, by the modern scanner within this uh, television camera. But this is a 32-line image, and I'll scroll through a number of different test cards in a moment to illustrate the effect of movement, and then perhaps a little bit of... Um, one of the number here assembled in front of the camera just to show that you can actually recognise people even with a uh, 32 line scanning definition. What you're seeing there is 12 frames per second, very flickery, but that's essentially the same frame rate that Baird and his colleagues used for medium wave AM broadcast transmissions in, from 1929 to 1935. It was actually broadcast by the BBC on medium wave until they developed 405 line TV and switched to that in 1936. Chris Long, 32 line. This is fanciful, 160 meter test. <laughs> <laughs> These are actual BBC test Yeah. Am I in focus? Uh, yeah, you are actually. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> actually, if you do that fast enough, you can actually strobe against the scanning pattern and your fingers look like they're breaking up. Uh, don't do that, people will have epileptic fits. Okay. Oh well, thanks very much Chris and uh, uh, it's a great invention and people can uh, of course go to the Australian Centre of the Moving Image and see this and other displays. Thanks. To finish up this segment and to give you an idea as to just how good the images on a mechanical TV can be, here are a few still images taken of local amateurs and the Maltese Cross. Well, that was really something, Peter. By looking at that, you can kind of understand how television works. Yeah, it's quite amazing. Here's um, the, the the thing that really uh, struck me was the the aspect ratio of that particular uh, television. It's actually portrait format. So rather than being wider, as many modern televisions are, it was actually taller. So uh, uh, and it was the uh, the idea of it, it was designed to be to capture a person's head. And so it, give, it does give surprisingly good resolution. And it, unfortunately, because of the various frame rates of modern cameras and the like, uh, you can't see the, the full um, effect there uh, but it, uh, on, on, a, on our uh, show. But it, it really is quite good resolution.
Okay, well, I've got one more email. Okay. Uh, from Fox de Gamma. Remember Fox? Oh, yeah. He's the one who built the homemade crimpers for us. That's yeah. right. He says, long time no chat. Hope all is well. Uh, it's been pretty hectic for him because he's moved to Florida or went to Florida recently and uh, apparently spent a little time there. He says he considers Florida to be the unofficial ham radio mecca of the world, and there's some truth to that. Yeah. <laughs> you ever been to that Orlando ham fest? Anyhow, uh, he says uh, he's still struggling, still working toward getting on HF, but he does have, he's doing some PSK modes, and uh, he's got the uh, uh, MFJ BBS running there and a tiny TNC kit. Boy, he's really getting into ham radio. And he mm -hmm. says they're gonna to try to do some more ham radio stuff. He just wanted to let us know that he's still following the show and still uh, liking what we're doing. Yeah, and uh, here is the address for their videos. A word of caution, though, they, uh, they don't edit for language, <laughs> so. Not for children. Not for children. Now, I've got another email here. This is from our friend Mike. K5HUM said, here's a suggestion for the show. I base this on the amazing knowledge and experience you guys have demonstrated. Uh -oh, he must have been trouble. watching something else. Mm -hmm. so. One of my favorite sections of QST is the doctor is in where readers ask technical questions and get good answers. Me too. Yeah, if we had someone there here of that caliber, we could, could do something <laughs> similar. Anyways, one section uh, that he liked in particular uh, he thinks maybe we should have, you know, something like ask the gurus to deal with ham or ham-related technical questions. Uh, well, we kind of do that with the emails a little bit. Uh, anyway, he had a question, and here was his question. He has one of the popular Linksys WRT54G routers, and the router has two antennas for Wi-Fi. And he said, I'm told it's a diversity system, yet I have no idea exactly what that implies. He says, as an example, I want to use a 9 dB uh, gain ducky antenna. Which antenna should I replace? Left, right, or both? Well, both. Both. <laughs> That's what I did. In a diversity system, um, the receiver is sitting there constantly looking at both antennas, and whichever one has the best signal at that moment, it switches to. And that way, uh, you can get away with a lot less power and a lot less multipath interference. That's primarily what it combats is multipath Multi interference. There you go. And let's... Good uh, job, Guru. <laughs> let's go to one more video here. I spoke with uh, Joni this afternoon from Skywarn. We're talking with Joni here, KE5PTL, and you're with Skywarn? Yes, sir, I am, and Skywarn is associated with not only the Jackson Club, but also with the north, uh, the weather station out by the airport here. So in case of bad weather or bad guys coming in, we just go out there and operate the radios out there for the folks. I've heard you all many times. Well, what are you doing here at uh, Field Day today? Well, I'm working on really low power, only 5 watts, and these are the super high frequencies and we're trying to make contact very difficult. Uh, the HF stations have a lot more power, a great deal more range. They can talk all over the world if they want to, but we're just little fellas. We're just testing out to see how well we can do. Right, so you're working uh, two meters and 440? Two meters, 440, and 70 centimeters. Okay. Well, thanks for talking with us, Joni. Good to meet you. I appreciate it. While we were talking to Joni, did you hear our friend on the other side of the table? We made a contact with our buddy, old Bill, yeah. E5YCK. Here it is. I, I got a little bit of that. That's our friend Bill that uh, he just made a contact with. Yeah, Roger. Well, tell everybody hello. Uh, uh, Steve up and Bowie out there, November 5, Yankee Charlie Kilowatt. This is Steve. Up there in the big city of Knoxville, Mississippi, on the old Natchez Church. Okay, we'll let you... It's good to hear Bill on there. I don't hear him on the air too much these days. No, I, I haven't heard him in a while either on the air. Yeah. Well, actually, I take that back and talked to him earlier this week, but huh. <laughs> not at the frequency that we used to talk, uh, yeah. which was almost every day. Uh, anyway, Bill's made it into the show a time or two, but always as a mysterious yeah. voice. He's never yeah. appeared in person, I don't kind think. Kind of by accident. We've got another uh, frequent show guest on here. Come here, Wayne. 
Just, just step in front and <laughs> hey, say hello. Yeah. You saw him. You just, saw him stick his head in the into, back just earlier. Just step in the view we and wave. Yeah. Again? Yeah. yeah. Again. Yeah. He snuck in earlier. Yeah. I saw him out of the corner of my eye. Oh, there he hey, is. <laughs> Peter from down under and Wayne from up above. Okay. <laughs> Have you got any more emails, Peter? I got one. Uh, let's see. One final uh, email here. Uh, unfortunately, the. Uh, the author hasn't left their uh, call sign, but it's just uh, Phil. So wherever you are, Phil, uh, you've, uh, Phil has sent us a link to a web page with a whole lot of uh, strange CW keys. We'll put that up on the screen. It's really quite amazing. There's a guitar CW key, a wallet CW key, a radio control CW key. Just goes on and on and on. Lots of really interesting pictures. Thanks for that, Phil. Well, we're about to run out of daylight. You think we better wrap it up? I think we better. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Yeah, goodbye from Old Trace Park, <laughs> episode 24. I'm is George. Is in the can. Yeah. I'm Tommy. I'm Jim. And I'm Peter. Cheers, 73s. Started off like that. <laughs> hey, how do you pronounce the guy's name? N zero M and B. I guess you just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a blooper. Okay. <laughs>